Curtin Cade Mornings, not just on the radio. It's a podcast, too. Big churches, let's face it, big churches get all the love. Articles, books, conferences, they mostly feature leaders of large congregations. And yet, big churches are a small part of the church landscape. That's right. Small churches are the biggest part. And so Carl Vader is doing a one-day training uh, for the small churches. Yeah, and we're going to highlight that. But there's a much wider, deeper conversation. You may be listening to this podcast, and you're like, oh, the summit already happened. I'm out of there. Oh, no, 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 no. We were talking about these issues and nuances and debunking the myths regarding the the small church and all of that. No, no. If you're part of a small church, this is vital information, not just information. This is just sharing from the heart. I think you're going to be encouraged. Carl, it's been a while since we chatted. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? Doing great. You know, we have a, a big heart for small churches, and I know you do as well. And I should mention that uh, he's the author of The Grasshopper Myth, Big Churches, Small Churches, and the Small Thinking That Divides Us, and also uh, Small Church Essentials, uh, Field-Tested Principles for Leading a Healthy Congregation of Under 250. And he, there is a small church summit that is coming up in our listening area in a matter of days, we'll tell you more about the dates, and it's going to be Lakeland, and let's see, uh, Inverness, and uh, Sanford, and Tampa. We'll tell you more about that in just a moment. But first, um, why don't we, Carl, just talk more about this? I mean, you, you came out of the gate with an eye-opening stat there. Um, this whole idea that, you know, mega churches are really the rule in the country today, that just is its not the case. In fact, I would even argue that the megachurch phenomenon is waning. Would you agree with that? I Yeah, I absolutely agree. In, in these kinds of situations, they have what are called lagging indicators and leading indicators. So a lagging indicator is, hey, our Sunday attendance last week was this. That's an indicator of where you are, but it's lagging. You can't do anything about last Sunday's attendance. But you can get leading indicators from certain places, and one of the places is from church architects. So I have a friend who's a church architect, and he says every church architect will tell you the same thing. No church is building the get everybody in the same room at the same time big auditorium for their new churches anymore, no matter how big they're growing. They're all doing uh, multi-site and then multi-venue on the same site to have reduced uh, number of people in the room. And then even the mega churches, as they're growing three or four times a year, maybe they'll rent a local stadium to have a big celebration together. But the idea of having fewer people in the room is the trend for the next coming decades, according to church architecture. Wow. Now, I know this is kind of, I know what you're going to say here more than likely, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Do you think this is a good thing? I think so. I, I think all. I think having more tools in our tool belt is always good. I, I think for about 40 years, about the only tool in our tool belt was get bigger, get bigger, get bigger. And it's like using a hammer all the time, but every once in a while you got to pull out a saw or a screwdriver. And the idea that now we've got options uh, for church size as well as for church styles, I think is always very good. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of uh, benefits, obviously, to being a smaller church, and there are some unique challenges as well. Carl, let's talk about maybe some myths surrounding small churches. Let's blow some of those myths out of the water. Sure. Uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of them out there. I mean, the, the first one is probably that small churches simply aren't doing 
church as well as big churches. Um, and that's simply not true. There are strengths that big churches have. Uh, the strengths of big churches are visible and obvious. You can see it from the freeway, and there's great parking, and there's great children's departments, all and, you know, and, and amazing musicians. And all of that is wonderful, and all of that is good. All of that is to be applauded. Um, but small churches, their strength is not quite as visible and not quite as obvious, but it's not lesser. Just because it's not on the surface visible, it doesn't mean it's not as obvious. As an example, if you walk into a big church, you can go to a big church for years, especially if it's a really big church of thousands, and the pastor won't know who you are. There's no way the pastor can. That's not a put down right. of the pastor. They right. just yeah. can't right. physically. But if you go to a small church on a Sunday, you're probably going to have a conversation with the pastor that Sunday. And if you come back the next Sunday, that pastor is probably going to remember your name, and you're you're going to make a connection in that way. Uh, and uh, if the stats show anything, about half of the body of Christ attends small churches, which means that's important for about half the body of Christ that there's a co- personal connection to the pastor. Not everybody needs it, but for those who do, they can get that in a smaller church. What about the pastor I alluded to earlier, a few minutes ago, the pastor of a small church who, uh, well, his his church is in the shadow of a, a mega church, maybe right down the street. And he's feeling discouraged. He's read all of the church growth books. He has prayed and prayed and prayed. And yet it just seems like uh, people are comparing his church to the bigger church down the street. And uh, he's wondering, wait a minute, where's the fruit here? And I just, uh, I just, you know, it's just, it doesn't seem like God is blessing me as much as he is uh, the guys down the street. I'm just laying that out there because this is reality. And I'm sure we might even have some pastors of small churches listening this morning feel that very same way well you know i uh, i minister in orange county california so i have no idea what you're talking about uh, <laughs> yeah, <there> you go. <laughs> yeah that's actually where this whole ministry started from was from me being a very small church in the land of mega churches in orange county california i mean not only do i live near big churches but i live very near like two miles from the original calvary chapel a couple miles from the original vineyard from crystal cathedral from uh, Saddleback Church, Church on the Way, Angelus Temple, uh, even uh, the Fuller Church Growth Institute, and for anybody with a Pentecostal gra- background, Azusa Street is about mm-hmm. a half an hour drive yeah. from my yeah. house. Right. So I live in a place not just where big things happen, but where big movements have begun. And to be in a place like that, that has all of that activity, and to struggle to get above you know, the thing they call the 200 barrier, uh, really played on my heart for a while. And what was what actually made it harder, and this is strange, what actually made it harder was that the church was healthy and strong and good. Like, when I first got there, it wasn't. So we fixed that, and we made it. You know, the Lord helped us to make it healthy and strong and good, and then it still didn't grow. So when the church isn't getting bigger because it's not healthy or strong or good, you kind of get it. But when you get to the point where things are great, and you're being effective, and you're having impact, and you're great worship, and you're looking around going, I don't know what else I can fix. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it still isn't getting bigger. It actually gets frustrating. So the health of our church actually frustrated me for a while, because I was told that all healthy things grow, which means the reverse is true. If you're not growing, you must not be healthy. But we were healthy. So I now call this the myth of inevitability. Yes, you have to get healthy in order to grow in a healthy way, but getting healthy doesn't mean inevitably that your church will get bigger. So small church pastors, hang in there. Healthy is better than big. Thank you for taking some time to listen to this episode of the Curtain Cape Mornings podcast. We always welcome a review with your thoughts and comments, and please feel free to subscribe and follow us as well.
I'm thinking that uh, smaller churches might work together better. If you have these big churches, they don't always work so much with outside churches as they do because they're self-contained. But it would be nice to have the churches work together. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's a, sadly what you're saying is uh, possible is not as true as it ought to be. But yes, you're absolutely right about that. Big churches tend to create a community within themselves. Like if you go to a typical big church, like you're not going to be walking by on a Sunday and hear the music coming out of a big church because it's behind you know, acres of parking and so on. You've got to intentionally go there. But you can be walking through a community, especially in a downtown in a city, and you can hear the music coming out of the uh, doors as you're on your way to get coffee somewhere. And so big churches tend to create their own community. Small churches tend to be a part of the community, or at least we can be if we will do that with intentionality. Do you think things are changing with, you know, Generation Z and, and et cetera, et cetera, maybe even with millennials as well, compared to the baby boomers? It seems like the megachurch trend was really hitting the sweet spot of the baby boomers. But now that we're in these other generations, they are not really as interested in attending one of these large churches. What are you seeing regarding that? Yeah, that, that's been that, that's being seen in any demographic you look at. Uh, the boomers, and I'm a boomer, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and talk down my own folks here. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> yeah, we we are we we call the millennials entitled. That's not true. The boomers were the most entitled generation that ever was. We wanted everything our way, but we also liked things that were large and kind of uh, institutional and the big stage and the big platform and the big name. To us, that spoke of authority and that spoke of dependability. And today, for younger generations, the big voice and the big uh, auditorium and the big stage above everybody doesn't feel authoritative anymore. It feels inauthentic and it feels fake. And they'd rather have something more conversational than proclamational. We need to proclaim the gospel, absolutely. But you'll notice Jesus did a whole lot of conversation in the way he taught. He asked more questions than he answered questions in the gospels. And I think that's something, and the authenticity of a conversation uh, is something that younger generations are really craving for and something that the small church can provide much more easily than big churches. Big churches, you have to go to a second meeting, a small group, in order to get the conversation. In a small church, you can get that on Sunday morning as well. What do you think about multi-site churches? You alluded to this. You know, it's just like, okay, we have the big uh, mother church, so to speak, and then we have additional campuses uh, throughout the area. And the idea is we're trying to make it more intimate, uh, smaller, and maybe that is how the larger churches are trying to, in a way, perhaps, be smaller. I Yeah, I love the multi-church, multi-church concept. It gives you the best of both worlds. It gives you the best of the big because you've got multiple together, and so you've got a large a pool to draw on so that you can do bigger things when you want to and get the resources you need. So they, they can all share an accountant, for instance. They can all share a copy machine, for instance. Things that small churches you know, quite often simply don't have, but they also have the small church feel. So I've done consultation with multi-sites, mostly because when they start to do multi-site, they know how to do big, 
but on Sundays, once they've broken the, the uh, well, one congregation I consulted with, 1,400 people, but on seven campuses and at least two services per campus, so an average of fewer than 100 people in the room, even though the church itself altogether was over 1,400. They knew how to do the 1,400 well. They were struggling, the pastors were struggling when there's only 75 or 80 people in the room. How do I pastor in that way? And so they knew that and so they brought someone in who knows small churches so they're beginning to learn the small church and i like for instance that the information is now flowing both ways for about 40 years it was only the big church telling the small churches how to do it and now the big churches are saying hey maybe there's some wisdom that can come from the small church side too and i think that's great yeah well let's face it it costs money you know you have to spend money for ministry i mean ministry costs money so if you have the bigger churches obviously you have to support all of that staff buildings etc the smaller churches i mean they may have a building and stuff but the staff is smaller so you can indeed be a bit more nimble but do you find the giving in smaller churches is where it needs to be by and large i know that may be kind of a generalization uh, you know, that maybe it is or it isn't, but I'm just curious uh, what that picture looks like. Yeah, it may actually feel counterintuitive to people, but um, giving is higher per capita in small churches. Volunteerism is higher per capita in small churches. Giving to missions is higher per capita in small churches. People being called into ministry is higher per capita in small churches. So um, there are more pastors. If you've got 10 churches of 100 compared to one church of 1,000, you've got 10 people who are in pastoral ministry rather than one person who's in pastoral ministry. I mean, obviously, you've got associates in in that larger church. But there's actually a higher percentage of those kinds of commitment things in smaller churches. The challenge is, in a church of 30 or 40, even if everybody is giving generously, it's still not enough to support a full-time pastor. So that's where bivocationality, uh, a pastor who's doing what the Apostle Paul did, and that is working outside of the church to pay the bills, that is much more common, and that's going to grow a lot in the next couple of decades. You brought up pastor's salaries. You know, we talked about this on the show, I think it was last week. And uh, it, it seems to be a, what came up in the conversation is we have two extremes. Uh, according to many pastors, there are some pastors who are being paid very, very well, maybe even above and beyond. And then there are those that are, let's keep them humble and poor, that type of thing, where they are uh, barely making a living. Where is the sweet spot for all of this? How do we figure this out? I know that it's based on giving and what uh, the budget can sustain there again. But do you think that maybe we have a problem with extremes here? We do. And what's weird about the salary extreme is it's not like the bell curve. It's more like the hockey stick. Uh, at, At the high tip of the hockey stick, you've got very, very, very few pastors, most of whom's names we know who have very large salaries and very, uh, you know, extravagant lifestyles. But on the other extreme, it's, again, it's not, it's not like there's this big mound in the middle of average paid pastors. Uh, on the very other extreme, you've got the vast majority of pastors who are not being paid enough to live on at the church and who are happily in most circumstances, working another job so that they can have the opportunity to be able to to give to the church and not to be able to take from the church. Again, the Apostle Paul had that as an example. In in one of his letters to one of the churches that was in trouble, he said, you know, I'm just glad I didn't even take a salary from you folks, (laughs) you know. Uh, and that's the way it is for far, far, far more pastors than the other extreme. We see the other extreme. 
but the reality of it is far more on the other end. Well, Carl Vader's our guest here this morning. The Small Church Summit, it is a one-day training. Carl's going to be in Lakeland on the 13th. Let's see, Inverness the 15th, Sanford on the 16th, and February 19th here in Tampa. Um, the registration on this, Carl, man, this is, 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 what, 10 bucks to register? What a bargain. Yeah, it's very inexpensive. This is one of the challenges of the small church uh, and one of the opportunities I'm trying to step into. For a big church, you'd do an East Coast in Florida and a West Coast in California, and you'd cover the whole country and the pastors would fly in for the conference. And a lot of big church conferences do that. But for small churches, not only am I coming to Florida, but I'm coming to five spots in central Florida because we need to give a very short driving distance for pastors who are often working a secular job as well and they can't drive that far. They don't have the money for gas or for a hotel Mm -hmm. to stay overnight. So we make it one day. It's really close to you. You can come in and get all the teaching that you need and then just a few miles away for another group of pastors will be there the next day for them. Carl, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you for your heart for uh, small churches. And uh, we're on the same page when it comes to that. It's uh, been far too long since we chatted. Thank you for being with us. You're welcome. Always good to be with you. Thanks for listening to Curtain Cape Mornings Podcast. Please take a minute to follow, subscribe, and review us. And no matter where in the world you are, you can listen to us live from 6 to 9 a.m. weekdays on the Moody Radio app.